Good morning. Welcome to Conversations with Friends with Mary Almwake, exploring ways to live our lives more fully in this wonderful world. We welcome your calls and thoughts at 242-7800. Conversations with Friends is brought to you on KAOI by Unity of Maui, where the heart is at home. Now, here's your host, Mary Almwake. Good morning, Maui. It's James Jacobson sitting in for Mary. Mary is off-island in California, and my fiancé is off-island in uh, Boston. We'll be talking about that later in the second half of our program, what it's like when your loved one is away. But in our first half hour, we are going to be talking with Deborah Jo Diamond, who is a yoga practitioner, who is a founder of a type of yoga called mountain yoga and we'll find out about that and then in our bottom of our in the bottom of the hour in our second half hour we're going to be speaking with Ariadne Green who is an author here on Maui she has a new book called Divine Complement the Spiritual Terrain of Soulmate Relationships so if you're looking for your soulmate or if you're already have it and want to figure out is this person truly my soulmate you want to stick around for that part of the program Today's word of the day from um, the daily word from Unity is let go, let God. The love of God guides me to greater understandings and peace of mind. And I think that's a very good way of introducing Deborah Joe. Hi, Deborah. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So, one of the yoga is continuing to get more and more popular. I think that people are experiencing it on levels that you know 10 years ago would be unheard of and you're seeing people of all ages doing it but what boggles my mind is how many different types of yoga there are and now you have this new one which you developed called mountain yoga what's that about well mountain yoga is a mixed style that pulls um from the major traditions as well as some other philosophies and modalities that i studied such as dance and massage and you bring you bring dance into and massage into yoga. Well, I feel that those other disciplines that I studied really in, informed um, the way that I learned yoga. I was trained as an improvisational dancer for years mm-hmm. before I was trained in yoga, and I feel it helped me think outside the box and play with yoga and um, listen to my own voice a little bit more than if I had not been trained um, improvisationally before I began my studies. I'm not familiar with this because, I mean, I, I'm, I've certainly, you know, taken yoga classes where you do this out. Asana, help me, asana? Asana. Asana and this asana. And, and then, of course, there's some even more dogmatic types of yoga where you do it in a very hot room. Mm-hmm. And we've, speaking to, we've spoken with people from um, Bikram before in this show. Um, but this sounds like a much more free-flowing type of yoga. Well, um, we still practice in a classical way, you mm-hmm. know, um, practicing asanas. Um, but... What my focus is training teachers, and when I train teachers, I like to encourage them to bring their own insights into the asana. So it's not so much that we're improvising um, the movements, but that I encourage people to, um, you know, listen to their own voice, their own experience, and bring that to the teaching, and not just um, what other teachers have discovered and passed down. So give me an example of how you bring improv to yoga. That sounds pretty cool. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Being trained as an improvisational artist, mm-hmm. um, you really go inside um, to find your own voice. That is the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the original yogis, um, of course, did the same thing. I mean, yoga is born from an From people internal, expressing their own voice yeah expressing Mm -hmm. and going deep inside Mm -hmm. to find it and so um i like to go all the way back to the core of yoga in that way and ask each person to equally source themselves and their own practice and find their and listen to their own unique experience their own unique insights Mm -hmm. in addition to looking at the um, major teachings from Iyengar and Ashtanga and teachings that I will pass down from my experience. Have you noticed that uh, the that, that people who are schooled in these, other, in these other methodologies really take to this idea? Um, 
Yes. Otherwise you wouldn't do it, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, most of my students actually, um, I train from beginner level mm-hmm. um, in the past. Mm-hmm. So I have more experience um, teaching people that are new to yoga than I do to teaching people that have studied a lot. Okay. Of different styles. So who who might this be appropriate for? Well, this is a teacher training program, so right. this is definitely not appropriate for people that have never done yoga before. Okay. You need to have at least one year of experience as a practitioner. And and by teaching um, these people so they can go out and then teach this type of yoga, what mm-hmm. are you what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, um, what I'm hoping to accomplish is to that this type of yoga is more of a system of thought than than a um, method of asanas. I mean, people that graduate from my teacher training will be able to create their own um, yoga program or teach any style of yoga that they want. So, so it's a, it's a mindset versus a choreography. Exactly, it's it's an empowering way of looking at the posture. So, I hold like twelve essential questions, and I, my my theory is that. If you can answer as an instructor mm-hmm. these 12 essential questions about a posture, then you're ready to teach that posture. So I teach them. What type of questions? Uh, uh, so it's, the type of questions are, for example, um, what roots and what lengthens? Because in every yoga asana or posture, something Roots brings stra- brings you grounds you roots to the earth. you yeah. down, okay. so that you can experience a rebounce effect from gravity of something else lengthening up out of that root. Interesting. Now that's a fascinating way of looking at it, and, mm-hmm. and I and I have been doing yoga for years and, uh-huh. and have had different exposure. I've never thought of it as ha- it has the dichotomy. So everything yes. is either bringing you down uh, yes. c- c- contemporaneously. You get grounded yes. and stretched at the same time. Yes, and my theory is that the posture occurs at the interaction point. I mean, there's like this magic mm-hmm. point where the root and lengthen meet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where you stretch physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're playing with some, energy. What are some other uh, distinctions that you make as you, as you teach this mountain yoga? Okay. Well, <clears throat> the purpose of yoga asanas is to prepare the body for meditation. Mm-hmm. So the, each movement's purpose is to deepen our experience of stillness. I've never heard it described that way. I mean, we know that meditation is often a part at the end, and sometimes people think of it as the dessert at the end of a yoga practice. Uh-huh. But you, you see yoga as being a preparation for meditation. I do, and so do many of the major um teachers like Iyengar and okay. it, it's a common belief okay. um, although we don't focus on that very much in this country. It's certainly not I've never heard a yoga teacher say that again it's always been something that's mm-hmm. been you know done at the end and people think of it as like a, a rest period or whatever yeah. and as a practitioner of meditation and as a teacher of meditation I'm, I'm, I'm uh, touched by that concept that you know that, that your approach which I guess is common mm-hmm. but you, most people don't share it this way or express it this way is that you're supposed to see yoga as a way to get you to a place where you can then meditate. Exactly. And I like to bring that right into every single moment of the yoga class. I like to do every movement and then explore how that informs our stillness posture, the mountain pose or savasana. Interesting. So so how long do you recommend, uh, you know, what's your optimal yoga practice versus meditation in terms of the number of minutes? Hmm. Well, I would say it's ideal to do an asana practice of at least 90 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And um, meditation, you just start where you are. If you're brand new to meditation, you might only be comfortable five or ten minutes Mm -hmm. once or twice a day. But then you build up to 20 or 30 yeah, listeners of this show will know that Mary and I have an ongoing debate about that, so uh-huh. we'll make sure Mary gets a copy of this tape. Because okay. um, I, I think that you know, in the beginning, people should only we five or ten minutes, and then and then we obviously try to stretch from there. Mm-hmm. But the ninety minutes can kind of be a challenge in terms of doing yoga. Do you find that that people have that kind of time to do it? Or are these the teachers? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think once anybody tastes a week of their life with 90 minutes a day of yoga practice mm-hmm. um it, it i think it's 
people are so motivated to change their lives around to make the space for that because you get so many benefits from it. Deborah Joe, how long have you been practicing yoga? Ten years. Ten years. And how did you get first introduced to it? Well, um, actually, somebody dragged me kicking and screaming. I didn't even want to go try <laughs> yoga. <laughs> and um, to a yoga class in San Francisco, a friend. And I was so moved um, by my first yoga class that I was crying at the end of class. I said, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Mm. I was in instant so you knew, yeah, you 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 knew just by tasting it that first mm -hmm. time, and if someone is listening to this right now and interested in learning more about this workshop, how do they get in touch with you? Well, um, I have a website, mountainyogastudio.com, dot com, mm -hmm. um, or you could call me at eight seven zero eight eight five four. Okay, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to find out a little bit about this program that you're going to be doing in January at Unity. I'm James Jacobson. This is Conversations with Friends. We'll be right back. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. There's a reason that Hawaii's premier mortgage company has successfully completed over $2 billion in loans for the people of Maui. With over 20 years of experience and a 99% loan completion rate, Trisha Morris and Premier Mortgage have earned the trust of thousands of Maui homeowners. Where mortgages are concerned, don't leave anything to chance. Go with number one. Call Trisha Morris and her team of magicians today. 874-8800. That's 874-8800 for Hawaii's premier mortgage company. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson. We're speaking with Deborah Jo Diamond, who is the creator of a Mountain Yoga, and she's going to be doing a workshop, a teacher training program here on Maui at uh, Unity on uh, January 8th through February 2nd. Now, that's not contiguous every day, is it? It's uh, Monday, Monday through, through Friday. Friday for Seven. four weeks. Okay, so that is, that's pretty good. After, after four weeks of doing that, um, you will actually be able to go out and... Te you'll be cert is there a certification Certified process? Certified to teach Hatha Yoga, yes. Now, you have two schools in California. Where are they? Um, I did. I passed them on. Okay. Um, but uh, my first school was in Concord, California, which is uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Sure. And my first yoga center was a Bikram yoga center. That's where I started as a Bikram okay. teacher. Now, that's what we were talking about earlier in terms mm -hmm. of a, definitely a much more rigid practice. Um, yes. And uh, my second school in Sacramento was in this current style of yoga that I'm teaching mountain yoga, my own style, which is a mixed Hatha style. Mm -hmm. And what brought you to Maui? What brought me to Maui? Well, I came to visit a friend mm -hmm. um, two years ago on New Year's Eve, and I took one look around, and I went home and Sold my house, sold my business, packed my bags, and moved here 10 days later. So it was sort of very similar to your introduction to yoga. You, when, yeah, you, when you see something you like, it, you go after it. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do, you, do you find that with all these different types of yoga practices, students, not so much teachers, but students just don't know where to begin? Well, um, I guess that that's a possibility. I would always suggest to begin with just feeling that you have um, a nice connection with the instructor. So it is. I was, it's so much. It's not so much the practice, but the relationship that you, that you have with the practice in terms of who you should go to. So, yeah, I feel so that shop training, around a little bit. I do. I feel that training with a, a person that you feel a resonance with is is very important. I do. I think it's more important even than. Than choosing a style. Yeah, I, I know. I have I have a good friend who is a yoga instructor who actually does yoga as she listens to this show. Angel Honig, and I think she's probably listening now. Um, and she's been practicing on Maui for a long time. And and I think there is such a connection between the the individual and the and the yoga instructor that makes you want to really you know study and practice with them. Mm -hmm. Any advice for people who are thinking about beginning a yoga practice? Um, yes, I would say um, just jump on the internet and yeah. tr just keep trying classes until you find one that clicks because there's such a multitude of styles. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky. My first class, I instantly clicked with the 
style of yoga. But if I had tried a different style at that time, I might not have even realized how much I loved yoga. So I would say try at least five or six different kinds and see if one clicks for you. Now, people are sitting in uh, early December kind of doing plans for 2007, and some people are looking at career plans. And it sounds like a move that you made 10 years ago when you decided to, what were you doing before you did this? Um, I was working as a massage therapist. Okay, and then and, and you, obviously you said you were trained as an improvisational actor. Um, actually, I was trained as an improvisational dancer, dancer okay. and I used to do performance art, poetry, okay. but that wasn't like a career. It was okay. just for so, fun. But, but your career was massage therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, is, uh, you know, what about, what, what advice would you give to someone who is considering making the transition and, and getting into uh, being a yoga instructor? Well, I would say that it's the most rewarding career you could ever choose. Yeah. Yeah. I would, and I would um, really encourage them to, to go for it. What's the best part about your job? The best part? Well, I experience teaching yoga as a meditation. Mm-hmm. I feel that um, the benefits are equal to practicing yoga that it's mm-hmm. a true um uh full circle experience mm-hmm. and um i learn as much as i teach mm. when i teach i find it very rewarding do you, do you ever meditate just let me without doing a 90 minute uh a warm-up yoga oh absolutely okay. yes and what what how would you describe your meditation practice um well um sometimes i sit um, just quietly for mm-hmm. about 30 minutes and sometimes I do chanting mm-hmm. um, I don't have a very regimented um, a practice I, I do what I, I feel it flows naturally uh-huh. I mean that's a natural extension of yeah. yoga yeah that's awesome. Well, Deborah Jo Diamond, thank you for being with us. You are doing this uh, teacher workshop January 8th through February 2nd, uh, and then again in May and June of next year. And the web address, again, tell us how people can get in touch with you. It's um, mountainyogastudio.com okay. or 870-8854. Okay, Deborah Jo, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. I want to remind everyone who's listening that uh, – This program is also available via podcast. If you're not able to hear every episode of Conversations with Friends, you can always listen to it or download it uh, via the World Wide Web. And our web address is conversationswithfriends.com. Also want to let you know about um, The Secret. And I know a lot of people are talking about The Secret this Christmas. And uh, a few months ago, we did a wonderful interview with Rhonda Byrne, who is the producer, the developer, the person who created the idea for The Secret, and she has become a friend of mine. She's from Australia, and it's such a a fascinating interview, and right now, you know, Larry King has dedicated two episodes to the movie The Secret, and uh, a couple people from The Secret were on Ellen DeGeneres last week, but very few people get to uh, get an insight to Rhonda Byrne, who created this, and what's so magical about it is that not only did she uh, live the secret, produce this movie, but the methodology that she used to create it and distribute it and get it into the worldwide status that it is, where people are talking about it, is because she applied the law of attraction, which is what the secret is all about. Uh, I put together a little website where you can go and listen to that interview. It's called thesecretfilm.com, thesecretfilm.com. And uh, you can also find out how to get a copy of The Secret for free for just four ninety five shipping and handling when you check out Spiritual Cinema Circle. So I invite you to visit the website, thesecretfilm.com. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to speak with Ariadna Green about the new book, Divine Compliment, the spiritual terrain of soulmate relationships. I'm James Jacobson. We'll be right back. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. There's a reason that Hawaii's premier mortgage company has successfully completed over $2 billion in loans for the people of Maui. With over 20 years of experience and a 99% loan completion rate, Trisha Morris and Premier Mortgage have earned the trust of thousands of Maui homeowners. 
where mortgages are concerned, don't leave anything to chance. Go with number one. Call Trisha Morris and her team of magicians today. 874-8800. That's 874-8800 for Hawaii's premier mortgage company. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson, and we also want to thank another sponsor of Conversations with Friends, which is Real Estate Maui Style. It's a wonderful publication. It has all the real estate listings and the people, the who's who of Maui. You can pick up a copy of Real Estate Maui Style all over the island, um, definitely outside of every longs. You see those magazines. What's great about Real Estate Maui Style is that they have articles and content and stuff that you actually are interested in reading. It's not just a bunch of ads. It's a fantastic publication, and they're a great sponsor of Conversations with Friends, so we encourage you to pick up a copy of Real Estate Maui Style. Our next guest is Ariadna Green. Did I pronounce that right? Ariadne. Ariadne. And most people don't pronounce it right. Okay. I hear everything from Ariadne to Ariadne. Ariadne. Ms. Green. Adrian. Adrian. Ms. Green. <laughs> How long? You, you live on Maui. I've been here 16 years. Yeah. 16 years, which, and, which gives you... Yeah, so I'm a part of the community here. I've been going to Unity for many, many years and, you know, consider myself one of the strongholds here on Maui. And, and you have a new book. It's called Divine Compliment, The Spiritual Terrain of Soulmate Relationships. What's, right. the, what's, the, what's the elevator pitch? What, what, how do you tell people <laughs> what the book is about? Well, um, I think everybody is kind of looking for that one divine pers- person who's going to be kind of their perfect match. And many people have ideals of what a soulmate looks like. And there's a lot of kind of discouraging information out there about soulmates who think they're soulmates and then that relationship falls apart. Because when you really fall in love, you think, God, she's my soulmate. Right. He's my soulmate. We're just right. meant to be. As a matter of fact, when I interviewed couples, I interviewed over 200 people for this book. The majority of them were convinced that they were soulmates, even when they weren't. Um, the reality is, is that, you know, like with any relationship, you know, you have to work at a relationship to really ground it on earth. You know, twin compliments or divine compliments or what we consider true soulmates are really pointing to a dimension of our spirit that um, is about a long standing connection and signature that we have um, in our hearts that connects us and links us to one individual soul. Um, and landing that relationship on earth is can be a challenge. Most people think, well, you know, I'll meet my soulmate. Everything will be ideal. Uh, we'll be romantic. We'll be best friends. We'll never fight. We'll never argue. And the truth is, is that soulmate relationships can be one of the most challenging relationships because there's a great deal of karma between them. And sometimes the memory of that karma can be triggered. And it's just can be difficult but for some it just melds together and i call it a smooth sail how do you know if you're if you're if the person you're paired with is your soulmate well that's very interesting because i've kind of come up with like 12 indicators that will help you understand um if this person is likely your divine complement one of the primary ways is is that usually uh, a soulmate will have a little bit of an announcement before that person comes into their life. An and one of the main announcement ways is through dreams. Oftentimes I'll interview a couple and they say, well, I dreamed of them coming into my life mm. before I ever met them. Okay. So that's like an announcement to kind of prepare the psyche mm-hmm. and you know the conscious mind for the arrival of their, um, their twin soul. We were talking about the secret right before we went to break, uh-huh. and, and uh, one of the folks in the secret, John Asaroff, says that you know he's very big on, on really writing down what it is you want and doing vision boards. And before he met his second wife, he had written down all these things, and when he showed it to her, she really thought, well, you wrote this down after we met. He's like, no, this is what I envisioned. Right. So would you call that the type of announcement that you're referring to? Well, no, that's a, a conscious decision. Okay. I mean, that's a good indicator of our free will to attract what we want in our life. Mm-hmm. 
Um, an and I deal with in my book. I actually deal with what I call um, wish list makers, and I yeah. say, you know, it's like making your wish list for for um, Christmas in Santa Claus. You're liable to get a little lump of coal <laughs> if you think that you can attract the perfect mate. When you understand um, the delicacy of the soul and the spirit, and that we come into life really with a divine design and a plan to complete karma with another person, to um, unite with our twin soul and have a very powerful um, completion with them in this life, that the soul yearns to know their true their true, its true identity. And to know your true identity, you have to really realize that um, there's another soul who's linked to you. And that connection brings you closer to God than any other vehicle of personal transformation that you can take. Okay, so you know, you're not actually, you're not, ad, okay, I mean, so how do you draw in this twin? That's a okay. Twin flame, divine complement, same thing. Syn- well, synonyms or so, no? so what you're asking is, can someone kind of either, you know, make a wish list, um, Google, Google, and come up with, you know, their twin soul? Yeah. I think the most powerful way to draw it in is to prepare yourself mm. and understand that when, you know, you have a lot of psychological ba- um, baggage or you have... Um, a lot of connections with other people that maybe aren't serving you. It's kind of like you end up with gridlock. You know, you have a lot of other souls in your life. Well, you said so, two things. Let's, let's parse those okay. out. The first one you said is that um, you have a lot of baggage. You have all these right, connections with right, lots of, right, of people. Right. So are you advocating eliminating uh, Well, I think baggage? doing your own inner work and preparing your heart. Yeah. Um, there was a dream that um, someone had submitted to me when she was in a garden. And she was digging in the garden, and she pulled up these twin bulbs, and they were for tulips. Yeah. And I immediately saw the symbol as representative of her twin soul. You know, tulips, kiss, mm. and that desire for her twin soul. Well, in the dream, she was having to dig through a wall or a barricade at her heart. Now, you know, many of us have a closed door when it comes to partnership. We may not consciously think, you know, we've closed that door, but at the subconscious level we have. Maybe we had a failed relationship that we're still hurting from. So forgiveness is one of the big keys, forgiving our parents, doing our inner healing work, and then asking God when we truly believe we're ready for... um, uh, God to bring us our twin soul and divine complement into our life. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is when people actually surrender to God's power, mm-hmm. um, that reunion will be divinely timed, and it usually comes within a few months or so. Well, we're talking about dreams here, and, and I want to kind of take a tangent and, and, and remind, <laughs> uh, talk about an email that I received from you. I, I'm somehow <laughs> on your email list, and you sent out this interesting email to, uh, was it people just on Maui or all over? Um, no, it was primarily on Maui. And, and t- tell us about it, because I probably can't do it Well, uh, you know, frankly, a couple of my students had earthquake dreams. And, you know, we've certainly had a number of earthquakes here on Maui that, you know, have kind of sh- shaken, shaken us up, up a, little a little bit. bit. Right. So um, after one of my students had a very poignant dream in which um, she was being shown a map and she was being shown the big island of Hawaii and then there was a red arrow pointing at Mauna Kea Mm -hmm. and then there was more arrows pointing to Kihei area. Um, We started looking at that dream and I said, well, you know, this could have been an indicator of the small quake that we had that was like a few days later, which was like a two or Mm -hmm. something like that. But I've got a funny feeling this represents a a bigger earthquake. So in talking to a number of other people, I discovered that there were two more people who had had significant dreams. And one was of a deceased um, individual who came to this person in the dream and was talking about the plates beneath the ocean, the titanic plates. The titanic plates, yeah. yeah. And that they were shifting. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, since then, I've had a couple of more um, dreams submitted about hurricane, I mean, about tsunami and earthquake. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to do a little bit of an experiment Mm -hmm. to see if other people are having those dreams. It's not necessarily that we can predict, you know, an earthquake 
through one, two, or three dreams. But when a large number of people are having um, dreams about earthquakes or tsunamis, then we know that the likelihood is is raised. That's interesting. So you've been getting emails, and we want to invite callers, people who are listening, just to call in, and if they've had a dream about an earthquake mm-hmm. or tsunami just kind of uh, call in and, and share that with us. The number is 242-7800, and you can add that to your research. And what are you going to do with all this? Um, basically, I'm going to look at it, and then I'll post it on my Dream site on DreamThread. But, what's, what's your website? Uh, it's um, DreamThread.com. Okay. It's yeah. just interesting, and, and, it, and it's fascinating, and it just obviously has a very local angle. So if you have any dreams like that, uh, you're welcome to call in and or talk to Ariadne about anything else. The number is 242 242- 7,800. Let's go back to this um, divine <coughs> compliment thing. You said there are 12 things that you right, look right. for. You, you mentioned well, a couple. What the, are some others? The, the second um, thing that you have to, uh, that can be an indi- indicator, is, is that your magnetic opposites, that your divine complement, your soulmate, truly is a complementary partner. That means they have opposite kinds of traits. Like, you might be very rational and cynical Mm -hmm. or like to um, be very detailed in your approach to solving a problem, Mm -hmm. whereas your spouse may be kind of whimsical or airy-fairy and um, pay attention more to her intuition. Well, if you look at that, you know, it's, it's as if two people came together to mirror and reflect each other's um, more repressed side or more um, unrealized side. And the reason is, is that we're really whole within ourselves anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, parts of ourselves are not developed, so we need that mirror and image. That's the, and that's where the divine right. compliment comes in. So guaranteed, if you're if the person you're dating is a complete opposite um, that means they're a complementary soulmate like relationship mm-hmm. now that doesn't necessarily mean they're your twin complement most people who have met their divine complement just knew it mm. it was like, like a divine instantly. spark instantly yeah, that's, you know? that's how I felt and out of hundreds of people what did you feel the, well that's how I felt when I met Molly we had met uh, actually on the internet on eHarmony a year earlier we'd ah. been communicating Kidding. I said, don't come to Maui. She ignored me. She she came. She didn't tell me she was coming. One day she said, I'm here. And I said, okay, I'll buy you dinner because I was supposed to have plans that got canceled. When I met her, there was that instant click against every bit of resistance that I had about meeting someone uh-huh. on the internet. Uh-huh. And um, let's just say uh, everything is amazingly good. And and we are complimentary. You know, not, we definitely see... Um, we have different. We hold different uh-huh. spaces, and that's very interesting. Put on your headphones because we got a caller who would like oh, okay. to um, who'd like to share with us. Hi, you're on the air with conversations with friends. Hello. Hi. Can you turn Hi. down? Can you turn down? Oh, uh, no ra- problem. Um, yeah, I had a dream. It was similar to the earthquake. Okay. Um, it was uh, about about two months ago. Um, I mean, I've never had a dream where it was actually based in uh, Maui. Um, it's kind of odd. Uh, Basically, I was driving on uh, the back highway to Kihei, and I, I felt like there was an eruption, and I saw big boulders flying down off uh, the West Maui Mountains, and, you know, striking water, and, you know, people were backed up in traffic like uh, we had uh, back when we had that fire on Nepali. just felt like that sort of scenario. Uh, hills were on fire. Um, but there was a big shark a big shock uh, along Maui and it really was and that's when I woke up and that was actually two days before the major earthquake mm. so Ariadne would you call that a, a premonition type dream yeah I, I'd call that a precognitive, pre-cognitive. dream and it was probably um, a response to the earthquake that we had that was a 5.7 because we did have you know boulders that blocked the roads especially in Hana mm-hmm. but this one is you know, really indicating Kihei, mm-hmm. which is very similar to the dream that um, my student had, where there was a big arrow pointing at Kihei. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so, like the fastest growing uh, city in the state. Yeah, it is the mm-hmm. fastest growing. And we can imagine how devastating it would be if an earthquake or a tsunami kind of really wiped out things for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we look at what happened to um, to us during that brief period of time in which we were responding to a 5.7 quake, mm-hmm. 
um, thank God it wasn't any worse. And I think that, you know, you had this dream because, you know, many times we're able to pick up um, psychic cues that are um, at a distance and a distance in time, so to speak. It's always very hard to pinpoint when, you know, um, uh, an event, cataclysmic event of an earth change or something like that is going to occur. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these dreams are reporting something that occurs 10 years later. Mm. So um, they're not really good indicators for when. But I'm really looking because some people do have dreams in which they actually receive that kind of information, like numbers on a, on a clock mm -hmm. or something like that that will relate to a day. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember uh, the day. <laughs> you remember the day? Yes, I do. Uh, okay, what was the day? It was actually, it was actually uh, sometime uh, next year. I remember I was still, I have a plan. Uh -huh. um, I'm leaving to work on a super yacht in Australia the oh, you following are. year. Yes. Um, I'm still currently working at uh, one of the hotels down in uh, Lahaina. Um, been there for two years, and I remember I was still wearing the uniform. I was heading on my way um, back from work, and, you know, it was kind of like they gave me a timeline that it's coming up. Uh, I mean, if it is a premonition, it would be coming up in the next year or so. Right. But, you know. Well... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there are psychics out there who are kind of predicting or foreseeing um, a quake in 2007. And some say, I think I, in the email that I wrote, that um, some were forecasting for April and May. Uh, I, you know, appreciate you for sharing your dream and having the courage to put it out there because, you know, a lot of times we'll take a dream like that and we don't think anything of it because m a lot of times our dreams you know, can, you know, put information that's quite drastic. But um, in your case, it sounds like you were bringing in um, some psychic information. Now, the psychic information could maybe even only be someone else's fears that were coming through. But because there are so many different people who are having these kinds of earthquake dreams, I'm kind of thinking that there's something actually very true about what you dreamed and we have to realize also that our prayers matter mm -hmm. and that you know our intention matters and surrendering to god and praying to god for some good divine intervention and holding um our islands in our hearts holding is the, really important holding the high watch caller thank you so much for calling into conversations with friends we're going to take a break, but if you have a, another premonition or a dream that you'd like to share with us, the phone number here is 242-7800. We're going to be back talking about the Divine Compliment uh, with Ariadna Green. I'm James Jacobson. Stay tuned. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242 9327. There's a reason that Hawaii's premier mortgage company has successfully completed over $2 billion in loans for the people of Maui. With over 20 years of experience and a 99% loan completion rate, Trisha Morris and Premier Mortgage have earned the trust of thousands of Maui homeowners. Where mortgages are concerned, don't leave anything to chance. Go with number one. Call Trisha Morris and her team of magicians today. 874-8800. That's 874-8800 for Hawaii's premier mortgage company. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson. We have a fascinating show. We're, we're doing kind of a two threads here with Ariadna Green. Uh, one, we're talking about her new book, Divine Compliment, The Spiritual Terrain of Soulmate Relationships. And then we're also talking about something that she's studying. She sent out an email uh, to people here on Maui if they have had any dreams related to earthquakes or tsunamis. And uh, I wanted to, to just put that out on the air. And a couple of people calling in. We have another caller on the line. Hello, you're on Conversations with Friends. I had a dream this morning. You This morning you this had a morning. dream? This morning. Okay. And uh, was one of my lucid dreams. And Ariadne, you know me. I've uh -huh. been in your workshop. Okay. Um, I was in a floating space with a lot of water around me, and it was probably something like a houseboat. They had built in everything. 
so that uh, when the boat would tip, it uh, things wouldn't fall out. But what I noticed was a tremendous number of very large insects, about the size of rodents, that would crawl out from the spaces. And I felt compulsive about um, having them retreat and go hide because for them to be visible was... Uh, <laughs> alarming and I thought if they just would go hide again that they would also vanish and not threaten and the water started outside of this boat started uh, shaking like um, uh, it wasn't easy rocking it was a very big rattling shaking with a lot of water noise uh huh well, you know, that sounds like a, a personal dream um, uh, that is maybe relating to your own emotion, emotional currents. And, uh, you know, bugs in general, you have to look at the metaphor, and it kind of usually represents what's bugging you, mm. you know? What are you hiding from yourself that is kind of creeping up through the crevices? And sometimes, you know, roaches in our dreams can represent karma. So maybe it's a time for you to really clear and cleanse and forgive and heal some old karmic issues that are kind of making your ride here on Earth a little tumultuous and a little shaky. I think that's really what your dream is kind of saying. And um, I want to thank you for sharing that one. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Well, you know, everybody knows me as a dream expert. So and I'll tell like, you. They're going to start coming in. And, yeah, yeah. So, well. But, which is good. And the bugs thing. And, we should, <laughs> and I, we should actually do some, we should have you back sometime and talk just about dreams. Because right. I think people like to share their dreams. Well, you know, speaking of dreams, you know, and the soulmate dreams, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I wrote an article uh, a few months back that is pretty has been pretty well publicized and syndicated everywhere about soulmate dreams. And if you want to read that article, I have it on my news site, which is ariadnegreen.com. And you better it, spell that for people. Uh, it's A-R-I-A-D-N-E-G-R-E-E-N, like the color, okay. dot com. And that's my news site, and you can read all about my book there. But one of the things about soulmate dreams is, is that, you know, even when, you know, um, twin souls separate, Oftentimes, um, the dreams about them will continue because mm-hmm. there's a very powerful um, synergy and psychic connection between uh, twin souls and divine complements. And so when you, say, when you say separate, that means through divorce or through divorce, death? Divorce, through death, um, you know, uh, or even if the person is in another marriage, mm. that connection can um, be maintained and oftentimes... Uh, they're lending a helping hand to maybe serve that person if they're going through emotional distress or they're dreaming about them constantly because they really desire to be back with that person. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the soul mourns when that, you know, most important relationship fails. And it's something that our conscious mind may say, okay, I've had enough with his behavior, and, you know, he's out the door. But the soul, there was more at stake. It's like a big earthquake Mm -hmm. that really destroyed all the plans for the incarnation. Mm. So the soul wants to maintain that connection at the dream levels. In your book, you talk about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Yeah, I sure do. They were soulmates? They were definitely twin souls and divine complements. Tell me about that who came in with a very important destiny. And, you know, I think the majority of us have, you know, been pretty well indoctrinated that, you know, Jesus had a divine purpose on earth and that he was a solo savior who was celibate and, you know, perfect in every way, the perfect man. And even the Gnostics considered him to be a perfect um, human being. But what we don't realize is that, you know, God's plan included not one, but included many and that God's plan also <laughs> included Jesus and Mary Magdalene's plan for the incarnation. Mm-hmm. And their destiny was pretty well um, inscribed in their hearts when they both came into this life. And um, uh, they had a particular mythology that really drove their 
their life forward. And if we look at um, the Hellenistic myths of a period of about 400 years before the birth of Christ, we see similarities between Jesus' story and some of those mythologies. One in particular that I talk about in my book is the Adonis Aphrodite myth, which I think really drove Jesus and Mary's relationship. She was actually driven by that archetype, Aphrodite, and, and Jesus um, driven by Adonis. So the way I kind of discovered their underlying mythology was I took um, the name Mary and I started doing research to the possible meanings of the name. And one of the main meanings that I found, a very ancient one, related to um, the name meaning um, Star of the Sea. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I saw was that that name also had been uh, associated with Aphrodite, um, who was the Greek goddess of... Um, as an archetype of beauty and feminine wisdom. Let me ask you about um, sex between soulmates, between, uh, divine compliments. <laughs> Is that... Tell, talk about that. I won't even well, ask the question. Just you you do it. Okay. Well, I do have a chapter in my book, and um, it's called Sacred Lovers. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, in truth, you know, twin souls are in a constant state of sexual union with each other through um, the signature in their hearts. Mm -hmm. And that's an energy that is transferred back and forth between the two of them. That's one level of the sixth dimension. Sex between divine complements here on earth can have every bit of the same kinds of problems that any other couple can. It can. can. So even though you found your divine... A lot of people think that, oh, when I find my divine complement, my soulmate, sex will be above board. It will just you know, reach this crescendo that is beyond anything imaginable. But what I've found is is that sometimes soulmates aren't even physically attractive to to each other and they have their baggage to clear. So my chapter, you know, deals with the level of what is called twin soul communion, which um is a level that um individuals can, you know, can reach higher states of ecstatic love by opening their hearts first and making that connection that they have and coming into cognition and a realization of that powerful energy between them. When the hearts are open at that level, then, you know, the sacred sexual experience can be magnified Mm -hmm. at a much higher level. But um, I have interviewed many divine compliments who really didn't even go into their relationship besides just being friends because there wasn't this, you know, huge sexual attraction between the two of them. And for the majority of them, it was because their relationship was too familiar. The soul recognized the other way too much. And maybe there was a memory of not-too-good stuff and um, a little bit of fear and anxiety about coming together. That is fascinating. That really is. And then can we take the corollary of that, which is that if you meet someone and you have this, what we'll call it, toe-curling, you know, ecstasy, that may not necessarily be an indicator right. that the person is right. your divine complement. Well, some people just carry around a lot more sexual energy, and they yeah. know how to use it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all respond to that in different ways, and some people can respond very positively. So just because you have a crescendo in your sexual encounter, that does not mean that this person is your twin soul and divine complement. It's nice, you know, when it does happen that way, but it does it isn't one of my primary indicators. I think that that divine spark, you know, when you first recognize someone and um, is just an amazing experience. I ran into this couple where they were hysterical at Star Market the other day, and they were wearing twin... Uh, he was wearing a shirt and she was wearing a dress out of Cirque Sucker, the same material. Oh, but at least not, not one of those moo-moos. Uh, okay. And I walked up to them and I said, hey, you know, I said, do you dress like that all the time? And they said, yes. Uh, for the last 20 years, they wear identical outfits. And they were from Massachusetts, <laughs> which is really conservative, yeah. right? And um, so anyway, I said, are you soulmates? And they said, well, of course. He said, matter of fact, it was love at sur- first sight. And... Um, and we were engaged after the first date. So for some, it's that miraculous connection. You know, they just know it. Mm-hmm. And the soul remembers, as I said, 
And so those soul memories can create a great deal of familiarity. It, it certainly is the case. I mean, as I was sharing with you, um, the way I met my fiance, we, we, we communicated uh, via telephone and the Internet for about a year. And I was like, whatever, I'm not going to meet someone on, mm -hmm. on the Internet. Right. And then when I saw her for the first time, when I saw Molly for the first time, uh, she likes to say, I French kissed her. I don't know if that's true, but we certainly connected. <laughs> And there was a connection, mm -hmm. and uh, basically after our second day uh, of of being of meeting, we've been together ever since. Except yesterday, I took her to the airport. She's going to visit her uh, her family in uh, uh, New England right now. And uh -huh. So, what is it like when 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 divine compliments are separated, not necessarily through right. death or divorce, but just vacation? Well, you know, and sometimes those vacations can be long and drawn out mm -hmm. and how do you maintain a relationship well I think it's true with any relationship it's important that you communicate mm -hmm. but for true twin souls and divine compliments there is a synergy and a tie at the heart that they have to realize they're n never really apart mm. and that connection is maintained matter of fact it's maintained even before they meet so that uh, a synergy creates a parallel path for two souls so that they can grow in evolution mm -hmm. and then eventually come together in order to fill, fulfill their divine purpose together. Mm -hmm. So that's why when, you know, divine compliments meet, they usually go through their history and their family legacy and they realize, wow, you had a mother like that? My, my mother was exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason is, is is that they chose similar circumstances so that they could heal some real significant soul issues together. Family of they origin. can bond, yeah, they can bond more deeply they can learn about compassion and love and what it takes to be a hundred percent present in a relationship mm -hmm. you know without drifting away or having fear of emotional in intimacy and that's what really we're all after what what is there anything special about the children of divine compliments Absolutely. Matter of fact, I have a, a two students are, who are who are a couple who have a beautiful little boy named Azure, and you know that connection with that other soul is a karmic one too. And um, when divine compliments are ready to be parents, they're adding another individual into their equation, and and they're meant to learn about parenthood and you know giving love one of the big problems when a newcomer comes into the relationship is, is that the relationship change so mm -hmm. in you know counseling couples and you know talking to them it's really important to keep the you know sacred lovers and the playmates alive you know especially when you know the kids are are little and having a date and you know, really spending quality time just the two of you, too. Ariane Green, this is fascinating. Divine Compliment is the name of the book, The Spiritual Terrain of Soulmates. Uh, where you can pick it up? At Borders. Borders, Borders has copies and Amazon.com and um, Barnes & Noble. Sounds like a so, great Christmas present. What's your website? Uh, AriadneGreen.com, A-R-I-A-D-N-E. And, and green like the color. And, if, come. and if people want to get in touch with you about one of these dreams related okay. to tsunamis or earthquakes, how do they a, do that? As a matter of fact, um, I want to ask the gentleman who called earlier to email me at ariadne at dreamthread.com. D-R-E-A-M-T-H-R-E-A-D. And um, Ariadne was spelled already. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful show. Uh, we invite you to join us again next Tuesday right here on Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson. Have a great week. Aloha. Aloha.